0: All right, so Acts 28, we're going to do the last part of the last chapter. We're going to start in probably verse 16, and I think we ended at 15. And this uh, verse 16 is going to start where Paul is in Rome. He has come full circle, really. He's finally here. At the very beginning, we started Acts, man... Uh, had to have been at least a year ago, uh, but when we started in the very first chapter, it said that uh, Jesus told his disciples uh, that you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea Samaria and the other ends of the earth, and we 've seen basically them walk through that entire process they were we saw the first uh, first seven chapters were uh, in Jerusalem and then uh, Stephen was killed in chapter seven they spread out to Samaria and the uh, outer reaches of Judea and uh, we go went through that and then we picked up Paul uh, around you know chapter 1213 and uh this uh the rest of this uh the rest of the book has been Paul's journeys and all his goings and now f- from a Jerusalem perspective he has come to the end of end of the earth this is the this is the the major city Rome was the the Rome was the capital of the empire and everything that goes on in Rome gets spread all over the Roman empire uh you probably heard the saying all roads lead to Rome uh because the Roman roads spread out through all the empire and there was trade and people traveled and and so anything going on and anything going on in in Rome would uh, would spread out and reach the entire Roman world so he's come full circle Uh, he's still a prisoner and so what we're going to see is that uh, he is uh, he's still you know we left when we when he left uh, remember what got him here he he was Preaching and the he came back to Jerusalem and the the apostles there in Jerusalem asked him to, you know, remember to go to the temple and to be with these guys that were offering their uh, um, purification rites so that the people would know he's not teaching against Moses. And from that point on, they the Jews grabbed him in the temple complex. And remember, we, we talked about all that. He he went from trial to trial, from Felix to Pharaoh. To Agrippa, to all these things. And he finally just appealed to Caesar because he couldn't get a fair trial. And uh, he, now he's gone to Rome for about two years. He's been at sea, going from port to port, back and forth, over and over again. And now he's finally come to Rome. And here he is in verse 16. It says... It says, uh, And when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So what you're going to see, this book's going to end. Acts is going to end where Paul is under what we would probably call house arrest. Now he's still a prisoner. But he's able to dwell in, you know, he's able to live in in a house, not like a prison cell or something like that. But he's still chained to a guard. And this was not any, this was not just any Roman guard. If you read during this time that he was, he's going to stay in this Condition for two years, uh, house arrest, uh, imprisoned, uh, waiting on his trial—all those kind of things. And so, during this time is the time when he wrote the letters to the Philippians. He wrote the letter to the Colossians. He wrote Philemon. He wrote what what we call the prison epistles. And he is chained to a Roman soldier. And these Roman soldiers were the Praetorian Guard. I know that probably doesn't mean much, but in in a historical setting, they were very important. I mean, they were there was about seven thousand of them, and they were probably what we would call Caesar's private guard. I mean, and you know they were very influential. They were the ones they they assassinated uh, uh, Caligula and put Claudius on the throne. They uh, they were very influential influential in Nero and his governing and, and all those kind of things. And so. They would come in and, you know, I don't know how long the shifts would be, but it would be a different guard would come in, take a shift, chain to Paul, and then another one would come in hours later and chain to Paul. And So, he's in this hes in this house arrest deal. He's uh, allowed visitors and all these kind of things. So, he is in prison, but it's not like, when you think of Paul in prison, you think of like dungeon. Uh, he's going to be that way before it's over. We see that in Second Timothy, but at this point, it's kind of just like house arrest. He He's allowed visitors and he's there in Rome and he's going to be there be there for a good while and look what he does while he's in Rome. in verse 17 it says, "And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together and when they were come together he said unto them, men and brethren, I'll stop there for a minute. you see what he does he continues his practice and every time he went into a city, what did he do? He was preaching the gospel, where did he start? He started in the synagogue. He started with the Jewish leaders. He started with the Jewish people. And then, of course, you know what happens. Some of them believed. Some of them rejected. And then he would go to the Gentiles after that. So he comes to Rome. The first thing he does is he calls the Jewish leaders to himself. He gets all them together. And he's going to explain to them why he's there. Now, he he probably thought that they would be waiting on him. I mean, he probably thought that when he got off the boat and he got to Rome, he was going to go immediately to trial. He was going to face either the death penalty or Caesar was going to release him. He didn't know what was going to happen yet. But he probably thought that it was going to happen and that the Jews from Jerusalem had sent letters to let them know that this Paul guy was coming and that uh, all all this was going on. And so he calls them together because he wants them. We're going to see this. uh, It's something that we've seen throughout Acts. We're going to see this, that he is going to teach them and preach to them the kingdom of God. He's going to teach to them that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish promises, of the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, something that we've seen over and over and over again. And so he calls them brethren. He calls them brethren. He's going to lay out his case. He says, men and brethren... Though I've committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So, by calling them brethren, he was he was demonstrating that he was not separating himself from Judaism. Y'all all fanning the hot? Mm-hmm. I turned the air down. It's, not down it's still on. It no, I turned the fan on so it would just blow. It's still blowing hot air. Huh? Blowing hot air then? I don't know. No, it's the the fans just on. It's just blowing air. When the heat kicks on, it'll it'll blow hotter. So y'all, is it okay? They're hot. Huh? They're hot. Are you hot? I'm not I ain't even. I never get. Okay, just fan. It'll be fine. Usually, usually everybody's freezing. They are like, oh, it's cold in All right, so. He, he's going to, despite the fact that the Jews turned him over, he, uh, he is going to call these Jews to himself and he's going to try to demonstrate to them that Jesus is the fulfillment. Uh, he says in verse 18, uh, who when they had the Romans, talking about the Romans, he says the Jews turned him over to the Romans who when they had examined me would have let me go. But there was no, because there was no cause of death in me. He said the Romans even knew that I was innocent. And so he's showing them that he's not here because the Romans think he's guilty. He's here because the Jewish leaders wouldn't let him off the hook. You remember what happened? Why was, why is he kind of putting the focus on the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem? Like what happened in his trial? What did they want to do? The Jews wanted him what? Healed. They want him dead. They want him assassinated. They could care less about trials or whatever. Why didn't the Romans just say, hey, you know what? This guy ain't done nothing. All of them said he didn't do anything. Because it would have caused a riot. Yeah, it would have caused a riot. It would have caused uh, uh, the Jews to rebel. It would have caused them to rise up. And that was the one thing that the Romans did not want to happen. They would do anything to keep a a governor, procreator, like people like Pontius Pilate when Jesus was uh, on trial. The one thing they did not want was an uprising. Because if you got an uprising, Caesar's going to yank you right out of that territory and he's going to replace you because obviously you're not fit to govern that's what happened to Pontius Pilate it's what happened to uh, uh, Felix it's what happened to Festus later on uh, it happened to all kind of governors and so what uh, What the reason why they just went on and sent him to Rome was because Paul realized that there is no way I'm going to get a fair trial there's no way that this is going to happen and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to appeal to Caesar and you remember what we talked about when once that happens Rome citizen you go to Caesar so he calls these Jews together to, to let them know look I'm not here I'm not here to um, bring charges against uh, the against Judaism I'm here to proclaim the fulfillment of of judaism i 'm here to proclaim the fulfillment of uh, of the Old Testament, and we 're going to see that he 's going to get the same reaction right here in the last chapter of this book he 's going to get the same reaction from them that we 've seen all along through the whole book of acts uh, they 're pretty much going to tell him yeah we don 't think so we don 't think that that's, we don 't think that 's right he said he says I'm not here because the Romans think I'm guilty. And so I would be thinking, well, wait a minute, you're here because you appealed to Caesar. I mean, the the reason you're here is because you, you said, I'm going to go to Caesar. And so in verse 19, he says, when he's explaining himself, but when the Jews spoke against it, spoke against him being released, I was constrained to appeal to Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. He said, I I didn't do it to accuse the Jewish nation of anything. He says, for this call, cause, therefore, I have called for you to see you and to speak with you because he says that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this church. Chain. But what does that mean? The hope of Israel? Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. He's saying, he's connecting. Now, this is the last time we're going to talk in Acts, so y'all really need to get this. This is kind of the theme of the book right here, as we've seen it over and over again. He is connecting. The hope of Israel was a term that they used uh, for the promises, for what God has promised that he's going to bring to his people. In the very beginning of Luke's gospel, you see, I mean, the very beginning, you see the baby Jesus being brought to the temple by Mary and Joseph. There's a man named Simeon that comes and he recognizes that this is the Messiah. And he, you know, he he does this song to the Messiah. And he said, I can now die in peace. I don't know if you all know this story, but it's in Luke, uh, where Simeon says, I can now die in peace because mine eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. It's the hope of Israel. And so, what he's doing is, uh, Luke is connecting the very beginning of Luke, where Simeon says, This is the consolation of Israel. Paul, at the end of Acts, Luke wrote both Luke and and Acts. At the end of Acts, he's saying, look, I am here to present to you, to declare to you the hope of Israel. So this idea, he's going to talk about the kingdom of God too as well, this idea that there is a um, uh, Well, let me just wait on that. Uh, So he said the point here is not to accuse Judaism. It's not to accuse the nation of Israel. It's to demonstrate the fulfillment of the promises to Israel. The literal promises to the literal nation of Israel are fulfilled by a literal Israelite. And his name is Jesus Christ. Christ. He is the literal fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to all those. We're going to start Genesis next and what I'm going to do is, you've probably read Genesis many times, gone through it before maybe but we're going to go through it a little differently because I'm going to show you how it relates to the gospel and to Jesus Christ and the promises of God and we're going to see that it's Jesus from the very, very first, second, third chapters of Genesis all the way to the end. How it relates to who, what God has done for us in Christ. They're not two separate stories. Don't ever think that. That the Old Testament is one story and then it ends it cuts off and now we got this new thing going on. It is a new thing but it's one big story. We're going to see it as we go through Genesis. God promised that I'm going to bring forth a Messiah in Genesis chapter 3 right after the fall happened and the whole progression of the Bible. It's not some disjointed book of different books. It's one big long story about the redemption of mankind and about the Messiah that he brought forth to bring salvation. And that's what Paul is preaching here. He's preaching that to these Jews. He says, he says, uh, I'm here for the hope of Israel. The reason I'm bound in this chain is because I'm preaching about the hope of Israel. And they said unto him in verse 21, they said something amazing. They said, We neither received letters out of Jude, out of Judea concerning thee Neither any of the brethren that came showed or spoke any harm of thee. Now you can imagine Paul, he's like, they didn't tell you about me? You're right? I mean, I figured they would have at least. So what we see is Paul's probably thinking, this is just me thinking out loud, but Paul's probably thinking, okay, I'm going to get off the boat. And the letters, you know, remember Paul has gone through shipwreck and all this stuff going on. He's expecting that the letters to all these Jewish people from Jerusalem have already gotten there. And they've warned them about this insurrectionist this Paul, this one causing riots. And he's pretty much thinking that as soon as he gets off the boat, they're going to take him right to the trial. And he's going to be executed or, or whatever happens, happens. He's going to go through all this stuff. And so they say, we don't know anything about you. We don't know anything about what happened. They are going to know about Christianity. We're going to see that in a minute. But they didn't know anything. And so Paul's probably thinking, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to call all these Jewish leaders to myself. Uh, He's in this house arrest. And I'm going to explain to them the gospel. I'm going to explain to them how Jesus is the fulfillment of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's the fulfillment of all the things that we've seen, that we've been promised in the scriptures and all those things. I'm going to preach all this to them so let them know that I'm not here condemning Israel, I'm not here condemning the nation. I'm here preaching the fulfillment of the nation. God has been faithful to His promise, and He's expecting that when they, when they, uh, you know, when they come, they're already going to be uh, maligned against Him because they've been warned about what's going to happen and about who He is and all those things. And they say, "Well, we haven't heard anything," and so all of a sudden it's like, "What do you think the Jewish guys in Jerusalem? You think?" They were probably just happy he was gone, I guess. They didn't send any letters. They didn't send any accusations. They didn't send any delegation. They didn't send any... Usually what happens when when uh, a trial goes before Caesar, when you see this in the, uh, the removal of a governor or whatever, the Jews would send like a little delegation to Rome to, to bring charges against the governor or whatever. Nothing like that. They didn't do anything. They were probably just happy to get rid of Paul. They were probably just happy for him to be gone. We don't have to worry about it anymore. He's in Rome, and he's probably going to stay there. And so we're just not going to think about it no more. Don't you think deep down, I mean, they didn't have any charges to write up against. They would have had to lie to... Oh, yeah, they did. And they did it every time. There really wasn't nothing. I mean, we saw that in the last couple chapters. Even the Roman governors didn't have anything to write as far as charges that were worthy of execution, worthy of anything. Really, the only thing Paul was guilty of was preaching this message. I mean, the only thing he was... He really wasn't... If You see a fundamental misunderstanding of his message, don't you? Like... The Jews are thinking, this guy is preaching a different message and he's going to wipe out the temple and wipe out Judaism and wipe out all these things. He's preaching against the fathers, against the prophets. And Paul is telling them, no, I'm not. I'm preaching the fulfillment of these things. I'm preaching that this is what the prophets pointed to was Jesus. This is what the temple pointed to. This is what the sacrifices pointed to. He's preaching the fulfillment. And there's like a fundamental disconnect between... what they hear and what he's saying. I mean, it's almost like they cannot get it in their head that he is not against Moses and Abraham and all those. He's not preaching a different religion than what they espouse. He's preaching the fulfillment of all those promises. You think there's a disconnect today in the way that we preach the gospel and the way people perceive the gospel? Yeah, absolutely. Give me like example. I mean, there's lots and lots of examples. I'm not looking for one in particular, but, huh? Explain. Some people think that is once they're saved, they can still do whatever they want to. Yeah, yeah. If you believe and preach as the Bible teaches that a believer is eternally secure in his salvation because Christ's work on the cross will never fail, people hear that and they say, "Well, you just believe you can go." Sex, drugs, and rock and roll and you're still good. That's not what that's not what that means. That's not what uh salvation is. There's a disconnect. Uh people baptism they forget the saved. other piece of that that says that when you are you're in with the Holy Spirit and you're given a new heart, new desires, desires to please Christ and the world yeah. things aren't to please so they they leave part of the gospel out. Absolutely. That baptism saves you. A lot of people think that you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. That's true. A lot of people do. Works righteousness. Mm-hmm. Works righteousness. That you could probably move that to when, when you're thinking of a disconnect. You know, you ever had you ever had your like someone in your family that you're worried about. You know, it's hard here because pretty much everybody's been exposed to Jesus in some way, shape or form, even if it's just the word Jesus or the, you know, the idea of Christ down across. And you got family that you're worried about and you're trying to help and you are just worried and you're not you're not condemning them or anything like that. But you just say, look, you know, you see this in their life and you say, I'm worried about this. And the immediate reaction is, oh, well, you just think you're perfect then. See, it's a disconnect. It's a disconnect between what I'm actually saying and what you're perceiving. There's a disconnect, you know. You uh, you could see it when when they interview Christians on TV, you know, and the Christians saying, you know, we we believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and all of a sudden that translates into uh, nobody nobody can go to heaven unless they agree with you. Uh, that's Kind of not what we said. We said that there's only one way, and everybody is welcome to come this one way. But there's only one way. There's so many examples we could give, but there's a disconnect between what people perceive and what the proclamation of the gospel is. Why do you think that's so? Because if it doesn't fit to their life, they're going to change. Sure, sure. That's right. They want, they want it the way they want it. They want to um, find any kind of any way to uh, justify, justify in their own mind why I don't want that. That's not, that's not what I want. And the reality is we've seen it over and over again in Acts and Romans, Galatians. Until the Holy Spirit changes somebody's heart, it's going to be that way. You're gonna. They're gonna fight against it. They're going to disconnect. They're going to. They're going to. Uh, they're gonna believe what they want to believe. They're gonna do what they want to do until the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. You and I. Paul is not. Gonna, Paul is smart. Way smarter than me. Way smarter than any of us. And he still is not able to argue somebody into the kingdom of heaven. He's just not able to do it. And you and I aren't either. And so even though he's here and he is um, he's preaching the fulfillment of the promises to Israel, they still won't hear it. They won't hear it. They believe that he is uh, destroying the community of Israel, destroying the the truth of what God has said. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Y'all have examples like that where you just I mean it's like talking to a wall. You can't get through. You can't get through to folks and they will not hear it and it's almost like you know, I have uh, deals where you, you you know you you think about what you want to say and you pray about what you want to say and you get yourself ready to just speak in love, the truth in love, and it's like, you know, it's like I say the sky is blue, and they say no, grass isn't red. You're like, what? I didn't say that. I didn't even say nothing close to that. What are you talking about? And the conversation just goes off into what not, I didn't say anything remotely like that. You know, that's why I have a I have a rule. I never argue, debate, or even try not to comment in comment boxes. On Twitter, on Facebook, it don't do no good. You can, I mean, I don't care what you write. They're gonna, it, it just don't do no good. It never does any good. There's no sense in it. Don't waste your time. You know, all of a sudden, I'm just gonna. It's like you, you click on, and say, I'm gonna check out what's on Facebook, and I'm in an argument. Okay, great. It's no point in it. It's no point in it. They just don't hear. It. They don't hear, it, and it's not a good medium for conversation. And so, all that to say, even Paul here, even after. 25, 30 years of ministry, preaching all over the known world, comes to the hub of society and still his message is being distorted by the people that are hearing it. Uh, still, his message, he's got to clarify that I'm not saying that I'm accusing y'all or that he's not even saying that I'm leaving Judaism. First Christians weren't, didn't think of themselves as separating. They thought of themselves as seeing and experiencing the fulfillment of what God has promised the Jews. Which is also for the Gentiles, you know, for all the earth. And so he's here saying, look, I'm here for the hope of Israel. And they... They said unto him, we don't know why you're here, we don't know anything about you, but in verse 22 they says, we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, he's talking about Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. They knew about Christianity in Rome. Of course, you've already seen that there's Christians in Rome. Before Paul ever got there, he wrote to the Roman church. As Paul, last week we saw Paul coming toward the city and the church came out to meet him. Um... So, in uh, about 10 years before this, it's usually, we don't know the exact date, but it's around between 41 and 50, somewhere in there, the Emperor Claudius uh, ex- exiled all the Jews, kicked them out of Rome. I mean, all of them. Kicked them all out. He says, uh, Tacitus, the Roman historian tells us, because there was there was fights going on all the time over this man named Christus. And they didn't know who he was, didn't know anything about him, but they knew that there was this... this uh, this Insurrection going on. There were uh, disturbances all the time in Rome over this guy, and of course it's Christ. And so they were talking about Christ, talking about him being a The Jews hated him, and they, you know all these things going on in Rome. Finally, sometime in the 40s, uh, Emperor Claudius said, "You know, what? I've got, I've had enough," and he boots them. And you, you can see that we see that in Acts when uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila were two of those Jews that were booted. It says that in Acts they, they were left when Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome, and so. Uh, they knew about it going on. They knew it was uh, um, it was spoken against. Uh, it was railed against. They didn't. They didn't like it. And all over the world, it was going on. So they said, "Well, we we don't know about your situation, but we know about this Christianity thing that's going around and how everybody in the world is speaking against it. So we want to hear your thoughts on it." And what we're going to see here is Paul gives them the last sermon that we're going to see. It's not really a sermon. It's just kind of a summary. But the last sermon we're going to see here in Acts before this is over. And what do you think? You think that Luke is going to end on like, and they all believed and they they all trusted Christ and we all live happily ever after. No, uh, yeah. But he ends... It's almost like the, this little sermon that Paul preaches, this explanation that he gives it has the exact same effect as every other, it's like 19 sermons in Acts that we've looked at every single one has the exact same effect mm-hmm. some people believe some people reject and the ones who reject are you know, are, they are turned away and go their own way and so you would think, you know, after 25, 30 years, Paul the Apostle, inspired apostle, writer of all these scriptures, you know, you almost would think, Paul, by now you should have kind of refined your message so you would get the most amount of people to come to you, right? That's not how he did it. He preached the truth of God, preached the truth of the gospel, and if people reject, they reject. If they refuse, they refuse, and if they trust in Him, they trust in Him. He left the results to God. He preached the same message, the same truth for the entirety of his life. He didn't water it down. He didn't change the message. He didn't use a method that would probably get the most amount of people to come and join his his group. He didn't do any of that. He preaches the same message today as we see at the very End of Acts that he did at the very uh, beginning of his conversion, and he just he lets the Holy Spirit do his work. Some people are going to reject, and some people are going to believe, and so you can see that in in your life and in your witness. When you when you go and you know after if you've witnessed like out on the street to folks, you know after about fourteen people tell you to go stick it, you might think I might be going about this the wrong way. I might need to come and you know nuance this thing just a little bit so to get the best result or to whatever. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. The gospel goes forth for two reasons. It goes forth for salvation and it goes forth for judgment. It goes forth for salvation and judgment. Those who hear the gospel, if they accept it, they will be saved and they will experience God's redemption. If they reject it, they will be judged by the fact that they rejected the gospel. Okay? You understand? So, Basically, you can take the pressure off yourself. You're called to be obedient to the Word. You're called to be obedient as a witness. You're not called to be successful. You're not called to convert X amount of people... And if you don't do that, then you're not, you know, there's Jeremiah preached for years and years and years and nobody, nobody believed what he was saying. Nobody. Um, You're called to simply be obedient. And the gospel goes forth for the glory of God. It's going to glorify his grace and mercy and love and redemption when it saves someone. It's going to glorify his righteousness, his holiness, his wrath and all those things when someone rejects it and they're condemned. That's what's going to happen. And so you can take the pressure off of you. You know, I'm not doing this the right way. I'm not very good at this. I'm not good at sharing my faith. I'm not. The, the only prerequisite for you sharing your faith is that you do it. Now, you just do it. You don't have to... You, what am I trying to say? Success is not when someone responds favorably. Success is when you're obedient. It's as simple as that. Mm. Some will respond favorably. Some will not. That's a fact. And that's what happens here. Um, When they had appointed him a day, they set a time, they came many to his lodging to whom he expounded and testified. Look what he expounded. The kingdom of God. Persuading them concerning who? Jesus both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. He taught them the kingdom of God. He taught, taught them about Jesus. There are some people um, that uh, separate those two things. They say that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, and then when they rejected it, the message changed to the death, burial, resurrection. That's not true. The kingdom of God is the preaching of the death, the burial, and resurrection. You see what Paul preached right here to the Jews? He preached to them the kingdom of God, explaining the things concerning Jesus. The kingdom of God is Christ. It is Christ crucified, and that's how we come under the lordship of Christ. I don't know if you ever met any of those folks. Um, It's kind of a hyper-dispensationalist deal. Go ahead. You've met some? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have, haven't you? Yeah can't explain. Look, this is 30 years, 25, 30 years after the death, burial, resurrection. Paul is preaching the kingdom of God. The very first thing you see in G, of Jesus in Mark, he says, and he came saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And here at the very end, the last chapter of the book of Acts, Paul is preaching the kingdom of God to these Jews, explaining to them the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Explain to them who Jesus, and he's expounding it to them from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He's explaining it to them from the Old Testament. So when we read the Old Testament, a lot of times we people have this idea that you know the Old Testament is just kind of history. It's kind of storybooks that tell us about things that happen and all that real you know okay stuff. And now the New Testament is all about what we're supposed to be. No, 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 no. The Old Testament, Moses, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the the writings, the Psalms, Proverbs, Job, all those, the prophets, Isaiah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Zechariah. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. When When Paul came and these Jewish guys came, he spent all day, every day, it says from morning to evening, all day, every day, expounding to them, teaching them the kingdom of God about Jesus. And he did it not just from his... His own experience, not just from his own mind, he did it from the Scripture, Moses and the Prophets. He explained to them over and over again Jesus through Moses and the Prophets. And That's one of the things. When we start Genesis, we may start it next week. We may not because I, I, there's something else that I, I, I kind of need to do. Um, but. When we start going through Genesis, we're going to focus on what Genesis teaches us. Not just about, hey, it's the beginning of the world, it's Abraham and Isaac, Jacob. What it teaches us about Jesus and the gospel. Because that's what it points toward. And so that's what Paul's doing. Um, Same thing happens, always happens. And some believe the things that were spoken, and some believe not. It always happens that way. It's a fact. It says, and when they agreed not among themselves, they probably argued among themselves about what Paul says, they departed. And after that, Paul had spoken had spoken one word. This is what Paul says. He says, well spake the Holy Spirit by Isaiah, Esaias, the prophet of our fathers. And Paul is going to quote Isaiah chapter six, verse nine. You know, chapter six of Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord highly. This is the same of Scripture that Jesus quotes uh, in the Gospels and applies it to the Jewish people that reject it. It's the same, same passage. He's going to say the same thing. Paul's going to uh, quote this scripture the same way that Jesus himself did in the gospel. He says, for the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. He says, Isaiah spoke well of you in Isaiah chapter 6 when he said, "You, you see, but you don't see. You hear, but you won't hear. And he says, "If you would, I would convert you." He says, "But you refuse." The same thing Jesus said about these Jews, the exact same thing. And what it tells us in this this same the same thing that he tells us is you just you cannot. You cannot talk somebody into the kingdom of God. You cannot do it. In fact, if you go back sometime this week, go back and read Isaiah chapter 6. Because a lot of people miss this. We know about Isaiah standing there and the train of the robe filled the temple. And we know about all those kind of things. But if you keep looking, God told Isaiah, right there in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, I want you to go to this people. I'm sending you out. Remember Isaiah said, if you send me, I'm sending you out to preach to these people. I'm sending you out to spread the gospel. And when you go, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to tell you to go stick it, and their hearts are hard, their ears are deaf, their eyes are blind. They're not going to hear anything you say, but I want you to go anyway. If you read that in, in Isaiah chapter 6 sometimes sometime this week, you get a picture of what we're seeing. So when you and I go out and we're preaching the gospel, when we're sharing the testimony, talking about Jesus, whatever, understand that God actually told Isaiah. He said, look, I am sending you out to this people and they're not going to listen to you. So if I'm Isaiah, I'm thinking, what's the point? What's the point of sending me out when you're already telling me they're not going to listen? And I've told we told we said that before. The gospel goes for salvation, it also goes for judgment. There's reasons. That's why it says God's word will never return void. It will accomplish what it set out to do. It'll either judge you or it will save you. It's one of those two things, whether you reject it or whether you accept it. And so Paul is Paul is not caught up here with the thinking about, man, I wish y'all would just come on. He understands that just like Isaiah, God called Paul, God calls you, God calls all of us to go out and to be a witness for him, to make disciples of all nations and to preach the gospel and some of the people that you preach to, teach, witness to, speak with, whatever you want to call it, they are not going to, they're not going to accept it. But that does not hinder our efforts. That does not mean you have failed. It does not mean you're not doing what you're called to be doing. The gospel itself is an offense. It's offensive because because it reveals our sin, it reveals that we need a savior. For the for the natural man, it is not acceptable. It takes a work of the spirit to get that accomplished in you. Make sense? Any questions? You see? You understand what he's talking about? So Paul tells these folks, they reject him, and Paul doesn't sit there like, "Man, I should have I probably should have said something different. Maybe I maybe I was too hard on them. Maybe I didn't maybe I didn't just, man, if I would have just whatever." He says, "No." I understand that you don't accept it. God himself said, your eyes are blind, your ears are deaf, and your hearts are hard. And that's, that's the reality. And so they go off and Paul says to them, probably the most offensive thing you could possibly say, he says, be it known therefore unto you, in verse 28, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Remember what caused the riot in Corinth? Remember what caused the riot in Ephesus? Paul said the word, okay, you refuse it, it's going to the Gentiles. And it says, and when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, means that house arrest that he was under, chained to this guard. He dwelt two years and received all that came unto him. Preaching, what was he preaching? The kingdom. the kingdom of God. It's the very last verse in the book of Acts. Still, after 30 years, after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, is preaching the kingdom of God. It's the same gospel. Kingdom of God teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, even though <coughs> all these folks have rejected it. Hold on. <coughs> All this stuff is going on. Pretty much everywhere he went, people were trying to kill him. People were persecuting him. People were stoning him and beating him and putting him in jail. He continued with all confidence, all confidence, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, no man forbidding him. The last word in the Greek text in the book of Acts is unhindered. He did all this. He says, it says, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ unhindered hindered that's the last word in the book of acts and so what you have in the very beginning you got Luke's Gospel. You got the uh, birth, the, the ministry, death, resurrection of Christ. Beginning of Acts. You got the apostles, the witnesses that are going to go forth, and they're going to start in this thing where uh, they're they're teaching this 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 fulfillment of all the promises that God had made Israel. And you go through the whole life. Now uh, it began in this small little group of twelve guys in Jerusalem, turned into hundred and twenty guys in Jerusalem, turned into three or five thousand guys in Jerusalem and then all of a sudden persecution breaks out and it spreads out into Samaria and then it spreads exponentially into the Roman world and now you have Christians all over the Roman world In as we end the book of Acts and you have the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth that was the civilized earth of that day and you have now Paul who was always going to this city to that city God now has changed his life where he is stationed in one place in Rome. He's stationed, he can't go anywhere, chained to a Roman soldier, but yet there are still people that are coming to him daily, and he preaches the gospel to them, and it says the gospel now goes forth with, un, uh, goes forth unhindered. There's all kind of, there's a couple of ministries that call themselves Acts 29 ministries. you ever heard of the Acts 29 thing? I don't know anything about it, so it may be bad, it may be good, I don't know anything about it. But the reality is, Luke leaves Acts 28 almost with a dot, dot, dot at the end. We don't know what happened to Paul. I mean, we we have kind of tradition and historical information that suggests things. But as far as biblical literature, we're left right here. The gospel is going forth. People are hearing the gospel. People are receiving the gospel. Uh, People are rejecting the gospel. And you have Paul here waiting on his trial, waiting to see Nero. Um, Tradition tells us that both Peter and Paul were killed during the persecution of Nero around 64, 65, right in there, AD. Um, But it leaves us right here with almost a dot, dot, dot. And now it's, it's your story. It's your it's your turn. The gospel is still going forth unhindered. Uh, we see all kind of things going on in the world. We think, wow, it's just a bad time to be the church, whatever. But the gospel is unchained. It's unhindered and nothing, nothing can defeat it. When it goes out, it's the power of God. Romans chapter 1 says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. It is what this entire book has been about. Acts is not just the history of the apostles and their journeys. It's a History of the gospel spreading from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the utter ends of the world, and now that same message is with you and within you. And God has called you to go forth to all nations and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all the things that He commanded. Any questions? That's awesome. So that's it. Acts is over. Wow. Are you glad Acts is over? I enjoyed that. Absolutely. I do too. I really enjoyed it. It was good. What, where are you going? Genesis. Um, no, I, I may. I may. I'll let you know.